Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about social deduction. We're talking about looking in uh, other people's eyes, trying to figure out, are they lying? Are they telling the truth? Are they on my team? Are they against me? And we're talking to Don Eskridge, one of the masters, in my opinion, of the social deduction game, a guy that made the resistance way back when, which is it's one of my favorite of these types of games. Don, really glad you're on the show. Welcome. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, I'm excited. Again, you know, the Resistance is one that my my wife's family was super into. This was four or five years ago, and I remember we went on like this big beach trip together as a family, and we played that game mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again for hours and hours. <laughs> and pro- we probably played too much, honestly. I look back and say, "Wow, why, why didn't we go to the beach?" But anyway, like <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but you know, I'm really excited to kind of hear your thoughts, your ideas on on this type of game. It's it's a, a style of game that's not new by any stretch. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it just seems to have taken off over the last, you know, four or five years of people just tons and tons and tons of games that they've been uh, designing. But let's start off with your bio. And just in case people have never heard of you, never heard sure. of the resistance, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm Don and I grew up in Oklahoma and a, a little bit before leaving Oklahoma when I was 25, I was doing uh, oh, I went to France, actually, and I played the game Werewolf slash Mafia, which is sort of the original social deduction game. Uh, and I really liked it. It made me think about it. And I just kind of kept that in the back of my mind. And before leaving for South Korea, where I lived for about six years, I had this inspiration moment of the idea of the opposite of Werewolf. Werewolf is about not trusting people. It's about killing them. And I thought, what if you have to trust them instead? What would, what would that mean? Um, and basically from there, the rest of the game grew pretty quickly. So it was just about figuring out how many people do you have to trust and how can they betray you uh, without you know, being known, of course. And so once I had those basic mechanics down, it was just about figuring out more of the specific numbers. So yeah, I made, I made Resistance. That went on later to become Avalon. And a couple of years ago, I decided to make my own company, Orange Machine Games. And so I've just been trucking on ever since. Yeah. Now, was the Resistance your first game design? Was this the first time you jumped into making a game, or was it one of many at the beginning? Um, I would say that the Resistance is probably the second game I made uh, that of which I was like legitimately proud. Yeah. Um, it, but it's also the first game that I ever showed publicly, and by publicly I mean the internet. <laughs> I've shown you know before that I showed tons of games you know to friends and family, ne- never even really thinking about getting published. I just liked games. You know, when I was young, I, I played Connect 4, and I thought, why not Connect 5? Um, if you look on Board Game Geek, in the, under the creative section of Connect 4, you'll see that there's a, a set of four Connect 4 sets super glued together. Um, that's called Ultimate Connect 4. I made it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't claim licensing for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was always interested in that. I would play with my sister, I'd play with my family, and we just make stuff up together. And then with Resistance, I made it. People seem to really like it. And I thought, hey, Board Game Geek has this P&P feature, and you can play this with a deck of cards. So I just made this one or two page rule book, uploaded it, and then 
and then people started getting into it. Yeah, so it really took off from from print and play at the beginning, right? And then did a publisher approach you and say, hey, we like your game. We want to make it like a real thing? Yeah. So you actually mentioned just before we started that um, Resistance was published in 2009. That's actually the print and play version. Um, And then Indie Boards and Cards contacted me. They were still a really small publisher at that time. Uh, This was going to – they had two titles under their belt, um, and they asked to publish it. And I was like, yes, sure. Uh, (laughs) That sounds really good. So in October of 2010 is when it came out, and that was their first game that kind of blew up, and it was my first game, of course. Yeah, very cool. All right, before we go any further, though, let's really define this style of game. Like, what is a social deduction game, at least in your mind? What's a good definition? Oh, I'd say it's a game where you have to figure something out about someone else, and it's something relatively simple, I would say. You know, are they good or bad? Do they want this or that? You know, in a sense, you could say that every game has some level of deduction because you're trying to figure out what the other player's strategy is so that you can prepare, you know, two to ten steps in advance. So every game, almost every game that that is competitive has some level of deduction. So what makes it social is when you have to deal less with what's going on on the board and more with what's going on, you know, right in their noggin that you can see in their eyes you know, if you look and you understand well enough. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember playing Mafia when I was in youth group, and this is, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago probably, yeah. or maybe 15. But, I mean, that just lived in somebody's head. There was no, like, set of instructions. There was no board or cards. We just sat around in a circle, and one guy was the narrator, and we just kind of played this game. And so that's what's really cool in my mind is that it is just kind of in, in the brain, so to speak. And now with Resistance, you brought in cards and tokens and, like, really cool art and production value and all that. Well, to be, to be clear, to, to be fair, just to, to everyone involved there, so like my original version of Resistance was just a deck of cards. And so it didn't have voting tokens or cool artwork. That's all indie boards and cards. So we definitely got to give credit to them for that. They even added, they even added more tokens than I initially wanted. Like in the, in the final version, there were tokens for who was going on the mission. When I, when I first played it, it was just like, hold up your hands if you're on the mission. You know, who did, he, who did he or she, the leader, point to? Now you go, you know. So more tokens were added, which I think in the end did benefit the game. But that's indie boards and cards, and they did a great job. Yeah, okay, so you're saying your original version was even more closely related to Mafia and Werewolf in that style. I mean, gameplay was totally resistance, but in terms of components, yeah. yes, it was, it was closer. And I actually, so, you know, I was young and naive. I, I, <laughs> I thought about Mafia... I mean, yeah, Mafia, Werewolf, and I thought, you know, almost anyone can play this game anywhere. I want to make a game that's better, mm-hmm. and I want it to grow in the same way, and I want it to get it, and I want it to get even bigger. Now, in the end, that did that ended up happening, but not the way that I thought it would happen. Um, I thought it would happen because anyone with a deck of cards could play. Yeah. So it's it's just funny and ironic how how it did happen. Now, when you say deck of cards, you mean just a normal fifty-two card poker deck? You could play regular resistance, you know, with no expansions or anything like that right now with a deck of playing cards. Now, you would, it's useful if you use the rules that I posted online a long time ago um, to do that with, but anyone could figure it out if they, you know, set their mind to it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, and so, Which, as, a dis- as a disclaimer, you should not do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so how much do you think, you know, adding the box and the, and the cards and the tokens and like all this really cool, like 
more board game-esque stuff. How much do you think that contributed to the game, like you just said, becoming more popular, more well-known than Mafia and Werewolf in certain regards? Uh, I think it contributed a lot. Um, as I said, I was young and didn't really, I didn't really care that, for example, you know, so let's take a five-player game. You have, or no, let's take a six-player game. The mission order goes two, three, four, three, four. Um, and so I would just get like a two of spades, a three, uh, three of clubs, four of blah, blah, blah. But in some of those instances, you know, for example, on the fourth mission, you need to have two fails in order for it to fail. Um, and in a five-player game, there, it's actually two, three, two, three, three. So there are three threes. But if you're using a deck of cards, as you know, with a deck of cards, there are two black cards and two red cards. Mm-hmm. So to me, I didn't care that, like, for example, there's a third three, which is a different color. I was like, you just get it. You just read the rules and it's fine. But that's, as, a, as, a, as more of a professional designer now, I know that that's confusing, you know, to someone who doesn't know all these things. So the published version makes it much simpler to understand what's going on in the game. If you want the game to be successful with like people who don't know games at all, which is why Resistance is successful, because it works in the non-gamer crowd, you need that simplicity, which the box provides. Yeah, I remember, like I was saying earlier, we were playing at the beach, and my wife's great-grandmother, right, who, I don't know how old, but she's a great-grandmother. She's that old, right? She was in there playing and having a great time and doing really well at this game. And, and nice. she, you know, and not that she's not intelligent, but, she, you know, she was one of those people like, oh, I don't want to play this because it's probably complicated. And then she played that first <laughs> time and was like, let's play again. I'm going to dominate you fools. You know, and she did really well, yeah. and it was a lot of fun. And like you say, it was super accessible now what what do you think makes this style of game or or really it's it's a mechanism what makes this style of mechanism Mm -hmm. of social deduction so good like why is it so popular why do people love it so much i'd say it's because it connects to something that people deal with um in their everyday lives and so often we deal with people that we that we really trust people we really like and also people that we don't trust you know for whatever reason and how do you deal with those people well, you just, you don't deal with them or you deal with them only to the extent that you have to, right? And you're almost never going to say, you're a liar and I know you're a liar. You know, your boss, your coworker, whoever, you know, your best friend. You're, you don't have the, the social ability to do those things for all the reasons of society, you know, good for good and ill. In the game, we get to do those same things that we've, been, that we've learned to do our entire lives and we get to scream it. You're a liar. <laughs> You're evil. You're messing with everyone. You're ruining this situation. Don't trust him, which is what we've always wanted to say out loud. And conversely, we get to say, I trust you. You know, I think that a lot of people focus on sort of the not trusting aspects of resistance, but I think it's more of a game of trust than not trust. And so getting to say to someone, hey, I trust you. I think you are not lying to me. That's also a thing that we don't get to say enough in real life so it's about that taking those really human aspects of of communication and understanding that we deal with all the time and putting it into a totally safe space 
Yeah, it's a great point. And it's similar to what I've heard people talk about with Shadows Over Camelot or Dead of Winter, where you have this like hidden betrayer kind of thing going on. And, and players get to do something that they normally would never do in real life. They would no- never like stab their friends in the back or you know destroy the world, so to speak, and be the bad guy. But in a game, okay. you can be, and you can kind of take on that role. Also, what do you think as far as like time? Because time, you know, time is, is usually, with these games, the games don't last very long. You know, like Resistance, how long is it? A 20-minute game, give or take? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, could, it depends on the group, but some, it could go 15 minutes, it could go an hour. Um, usually not an hour, but I've easily met groups that can play a game for a full hour wow. or more just because they're super, super into it. Uh, but, but yes, I would absolutely say that um, the time factor plays a lot into its accessibility. Yeah, for sure. And so any other thoughts on what makes it such a good mechanism? Because, I mean, your game came out and part of what creates copycats is a game just being successful and, and publishers are like, oh, we can make money off this. Let me make my version. And that's just part of the, the finances of it, finances of it. Um, sure. But what else? Like there's got to be more to it than that, because there's been so many social deduction games that have come out over the last five, six years. Why do they keep coming out? I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, because you, you, you look at the various social deduction games out there, they all keep it relatively simple and a number of them are, you know, pretty popular and they, and they don't involve, uh, you know, a million, uh, different aspects of them. Yeah. I don't really have a, a whole lot to say to that. I, th- I think it's a really core concept that people, that people like, and they just, they, they want more of it. I would like to see more unique takes on it you know um and hey that's what i'm trying to do right now which we can talk about later yeah i'm excited to talk about ways to kind of implement this in in other new you know foundational kind of ways but but first let's talk about what makes a game like this challenging to design like what are the hard parts about creating these social deduction games well the rules need to be really simple as we just talked about that's why people uh, one of the reasons people really like them and you have to think about all the ways that people can mess with others in order to gain the information that they want. So if there are any little holes, you know, say, for example, there's a character. Say, for example, in Resistance, there were a character who had to play fail on the second round. Okay. That sounds kind of interesting. It sounds kind of fun. But there is probably, like, I don't know, I haven't really, I haven't fully thought through that specific character, but there's a probably a way that you could break that so that in a situation you could say, oh, because of, you know, Reinald, the character Reinald, he's definitely Reinald because of A, B, and C, and I know this 100% for a fact. So that kind of break, it doesn't break the game, but it makes it so that now a player's identity is known, and that's no fun for anyone. So I would say the challenge is making sure there aren't any holes in it and making sure that you understand, making sure to create, create a broad avenue for players to mess with other players and deduce them, but also make sure it's an, it, it's, it has walls, you know, so that they can't just, you know, run around and figure something out just to break the game. I know that's a, a kind of an abstract way to explain it, but, you know, the same way that in Paper, Rock, Scissors, you know, I have no idea what the other player is going to play, but you know what the system is. And you know, they're not. There's no way to get around it other than just like understanding your your soul, your core. Um, you have to do the same thing with social deduction. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying there should always be imperfect information. Like you never want there to be a, a time where there's perfect information where someone can say, beyond all doubt, I know this to be true. Or if there is 
Or if that happens, making sure it's not early in the game. Okay. Or if it happens, making sure the player uh, can still do things and have an effect on the game. So even in Resistance, you know, say that I've already failed one mission and I'm going on another two-player mission or whatever, and I just blow it, I fail it. Well, I've made a choice, really, to out myself. But I've still had a big effect on the game, and I still get to vote for the rest of the game. And that has a, a real effect. So, yeah keeping the imperfect information for as long as you can and then once it's gone uh retaining player ability yeah gotcha and i want to talk a little bit more about how you balance that and figure that out through playtesting but uh, before we get to that any other challenges in designing these types of games again they're they're, they're fairly simple but maybe that is that one of mm-hmm. the challenges too is that you don't get too complicated that you kind of have to rein the game back in at times yeah i would i would say Definitely not making it too complicated, but also it just depends on the type of experience that you're going for. Um, so when you think about resistance, it has mass market appeal, and that's great. Why does that have mass market appeal? Because of what we just talked about. It's quick to play, quick to learn, involves pretty much just core abilities, and also rewards a bit of strategy and persuasive, level, persuasive abilities, right? So... Those are all things that contribute to its mass market success. But maybe you don't need or, or care about a worldwide popular game. Because honestly, a lot of us would like our games to be popular, but we don't need it to be in Toys R Us you know, or Walmart or something like that. Now, as I was starting to design originally, I never thought about Walmart or anything. I, I didn't. But now, as a more of an experienced designer, I do. I think to myself, is this a game that's going to work for a more niche market or is it something that I want to have like really broad appeal because they both limit you in, in different ways, right? So if you're okay with having that smaller market, then you get the chance to reward players who want to dig in, who want something meatier and crunchier because those are also good games and those can also be social deduction. They're just different. So, I think I might have lost track a little bit, but I would say the challenge is to figure out the t- oh yeah, now I get it. The challenge is to figure out the type of audience that you're going for and make a rules complexity that matches that audience. Yeah, and along those lines, when you're designing a game now, is that something that you think about right from the very beginning, or is it something you start designing and then kind of figure out along the way as far as which audience is going to be uh, more, uh, more suited for your game? I would say that it's it's both. Like I think about it at the beginning and as it's going along and in the process of development. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, where where you start with various things, about where you, like, you know, about the audience, you know, themes versus mechanics, et cetera. For me, it's, it's all messed together throughout the process of it. Um, you know, for example, I know mechanically what type of games I like. I want them to play, you know, uh, at least a middle to a large group of players. I want it to be relatively easy to learn. Um, I wanted to have lots of interaction, you know, and that's my, my company's theme is explosive interaction. So knowing those things, I can venture out and think about other more colorful, non-mechanical ideas. I, I just, just, I just come up with names randomly. That's how I came up with uh, Abandoned Planet, that's the first game from Orange Machine Games. I was just like, what's big and explosive? Oh, a planet blowing up. Um, and then I'm like, okay, things are blowing up. 
Now, and a planet's blowing up. How do I take that and I marry it with the type of game that I know that I already like? And then that's where things, different things uh, come into play. And so that also goes along you know, with your question. Do I think about that audience from the beginning? I think about it from the beginning, middle, and end. And I would say that as much as I care about a specific, like, one audience, I'll also just see where the game is, you know, about two-thirds of the way through and be like, okay, I've realized that this game is not going to meet that audience, but it would meet this audience. How do I feel about that? Am I happy with that? You know, am I okay with how the market is going to feel about that and how gamers are going to feel about that? And if my answer is yes, I keep on going. Very cool, man. That's a, that's a really interesting process. And I, I kind of like how you do it. Have you ever found that you kind of get to a certain point and the game is like teetering between mass market appeal and, and more niche appeal? And you're like, okay, I have to really make some decisions as far as where I want to go. Yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, so there was resistance and Avalon, you know, and both of those kind of were simple enough to go mass market. And then when I started Orange Machine Games, um, our first game is called Abandoned Planet. And that's the game that I just mentioned. It's about meteors blowing up a planet and everyone trying to escape started off very simple you know there was just this middle hexagon it's actually i'm skipping ahead to kind of like a little bit into it but but still early in the process you just fly out pick something up fly back and you're trying to find a partner to do that with um because you're picking stuff up and you need a certain number of things to fly out so in the process of making that game um i saw it was, it was very very simple um not very close like resistance levels um and this wasn't even social deduction it was more about teamwork finding teams and that is what the game still is today it's a it's a game of planning out your actions and finding a teammate to fly out uh, and escape the planet with but as i went along it got more complicated um you know as a meteor would land a tile would blow up and i was like okay it blew up and now the game's board is reduced. The area of movement that players have is reduced. Um, so something was taken away. Is there something that I could add also to also change the landscape more? So I introduced these aftermath tiles, which add interesting rules. Um, so when something's blown up, it's not just removed, but it's sort of flipped over in a way um, to add a different rule set. So the game changes dynamically. Now, as I was doing that, I was like, okay, Don, this is making it more complicated. You know, this means that there's going to be in any given game five to nine more rules added to the game or potentialities added to the game as you go. Now, how do how do you feel about that? I played the game and I saw others playing it and they really enjoyed those that space of possibility and I also recognized that players who played resistance weren't getting it as quickly. And so that was that an easy decision? No. Not at all. I was like, do I rein it back to more uh, resistance level of simplicity? Or do I go with what I'm seeing that people still enjoy and that, and that I'm kind of feeling artistically, you know, right now? Um, and, that's, and that's what I went with. And that's how the game is today. And it's really interesting because you can see how the game has come out. There are a lot of people who really like the game. And there are also people who got into the game because they're like, whoa, resistance whoa you know and they play it and they're like oh this is not a resistance experience 
wasn't expecting that. And so I think thinking about those possibilities and making decisions to accept how, how a game is going to be released and how it's going to be viewed is really important in, in the design process. And the, now that I'm a publisher as well, in the publishing process. Yeah, it's definitely something that you have to keep in mind. And But I like, I like what you said. It was not an easy decision. It's something that you actually went through this process and had to decide as opposed to just kind of throwing it out there and being like, oh, we'll see what happens. Like you, you actually had to make the choice and, and uh, do it intentionally. Now, there's been so many social deduction games that have come out, like we've been saying, and with so many different themes, you know, a lot of sci-fi. Cold War is a big one. That has a lot of, uh, the, you know, mafia oh. and the, the mob and the werewolf and like all the different kind of old school fantasy tropes that go along with that. What are right. what are some themes that just don't work? Have you ever tried to make one of these type of games and the theme just like did not work at all? Or any any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's like a, like a million themes that don't work. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, the thing is, what I'll do is I'll, as I mentioned before, I know the mechanics I like. And I'll try a lot of different themes and think. So there's one, it was called Graffiti Punks. <laughs> and this is what I do. I just come up with words. I'm like, Black Hole Council. And that eventually became my current game, Black Hole Council. Just combining weird words. The original name for my company was Burnt Hamster. And <laughs> thankfully enough, <laughs> and it was just two random, random pairings. Yeah. And thankfully enough, people were like, no, no. <laughs> That it came up with Orange Machine games. Um, yeah, I was like, graffiti, punks, okay, whatever. And so it was about two different, two different groups. There are graffiti punks and then the people who, like, clean up the graffiti um, but still have this relationship to the punks because part of their job is cleaning the graffiti because that's how the, the, the city paid them. That's what the city paid them to do. So it was this, like, cyclical process of cleaning and then tipping off the punks to when a wall was clear so that they could graffiti it again. And why, why didn't it work? I don't know. I could still, I could, I could still come back to it, but that's just one example of, you know, a, a million weird themes that come into people's heads. And I think one of the reasons I thought of that is because it's a little bit less cliche. You know, when have you played a game about graffiti punks, you know, Right. And maybe I shouldn't call them punks. They're not all punks, you know. But for for kind of a, an era type game, graffiti punks. So yeah, that's just one example of something that petered out, just like a million other things. Yeah. Do you think these games, in a lot of ways, need to be more like the stakes need to be higher? Like for instance, you know, we need to be working on saving the world or, or you know, uh, accomplishing these missions. Uh, the, you know, in the Cold War, mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to win for our country. Like it's these kind of bigger world stage, galaxy stage things. Is that better to go that way as opposed to kind of a scaled down, you know, less stakes, less risk kind of thing? I mean, it really depends on what, um, you know, the definition of better, you know, if you're, and that depends on your audience. I guess better received, like more well received by, by, by people. Right. Um, I, again, I don't mean to be redundant, but it just depends on what you're going for. So like if I had a, if I had a game called Cookie Bake Off, then that's going to apply to a different segment, you know, than Black Hole Council, a completely different segment. Yeah. So if what you're, if all you care about is your mechanics and your game getting played, then yeah, I would guess that Cookie Bake Off is going to do better than Black Hole Council. So it's about, it's about what you, it's about what you care about. Me, 
I like big and epic, and I get more into it um, when something major is going on. And you can see that I'm like a geek. Resistance. I didn't actually name Avalon. That was done by the company. But Resistance, Abandoned Planet about escaping the meteor apocalypse, Black Hole Council about throwing entire planets into a black hole. So clearly, <laughs> clear, clearly I'm on the side of, you know, big and epic. You know, I'm thinking about a game right now called Crunch, and it's a game about giant mechs hitting each other because I am a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> um, so in terms of, like, better received, if that's your question, if, you're, if this is, like, a type of question that's aimed at, you know, budding designers who are looking at what to do, mm-hmm. I would say go with a theme that, that speaks to your heart but um, that isn't too niche. And so I give that advice as do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> because I, I do whatever I want. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's one of those situations, kind of like writing or, or movie making, like learn the foundation, learn the rules, so to speak, of the, the creative venture that you're doing. And once you know them all, then you can break them, right? Then you can start doing whatever you want after you've kind of built that foundation of understanding. And I think that's a good way yep. to approach things. Now, let's talk about taking the social deduction thing, that mechanism, that style of play, and adding a twist, you know, making it deeper, adding more meat to it, so to speak. What are some of the ways that you've seen or would maybe like to see other designers do where they take social deduction and then change it or add more to it, something like that? So there are definitely ways to do that. And I'm, I'm, think, I, I'm thinking about some of them already for not my next game. <laughs> so there's Black Hole Council. There's a game after that. Um, and then there's a game after that, which I'm thinking about. Um, it, with my own company, I don't want to dive too quickly into like role versus role social deduction because obviously that's what Resistance and Avalon is um, already. I am still interested in the subject, but I'm waiting until like my fourth game to dive to dive back in, you know, to that specifically. But to talk about not that one, but a different one, having something. So right now it's like a team versus, it's usually a team versus team, good versus bad, and good is the majority and bad is the minority. And good doesn't know anything and bad knows everything, right? That's almost every social deduction game. You know, two rooms in a boom might be different. I think that one might have more, it might be the same level of good guys versus bad guys. I haven't played it recently. Um but, there, but that's what most games are. So I think it would be interesting to kind of turn that on its head. And that's something that I'm working on right now is making it to where the good guys are actually fewer than the bad guys. Um, and so there's this sense of like righteous indignation right from the beginning of the game because you know you're a good guy, right? And you know that you're outnumbered by bad guys who know you. Um, and so you're like... Mm, all these things that you want to say, you're like, screw you, you're, you're all evil. Um, and I've been playing with that. And one of the design problems that I've ran up against is that people are so convincing with righteous indignation. <laughs> They're so convincing. If I get up and I, if I, if I know the majority of players are bad and I get up and I scream, I'm a good guy. Then probably at the, at the very least, my other good guy, pal, who doesn't know me, is going to be like, yeah, he's probably the good guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that's a design challenge that I've run into, and I've actually come up with an answer to that, which I'll tell you about in two years. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, um, mate. Yeah, I think, there are definitely, I think there are definitely ways 
to play with it um, and to play with how many people know what, because right now it's very basic in most games. Yeah. Now, any other thoughts as far as like the social deduction worker placement game or like, you know, mashing up mechanisms and kind of adding things together? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's, is definitely doable. There was a game that I never played. I think it was called like Crack How. Um, I thought you were going to say Crack House. And I was like, I don't know that that's going to get much traction. <laughs> this is a family show, Don. <laughs> right. um, like Crack How 1572 or something like that. And it was like a social deduction game that also had exactly what you're talking about, worker placement. I need to look into it um, again. But I think that's I think that's definitely doable. And in a way, Abandoned Planet kind of does that because you're, you have these rockets and you're moving them around the board, um, but you have simultaneous action selection and you don't know who your partner is going to be. Now, it's not a secret. You don't have hidden roles, but still, you don't know what other players' plans are. Unless they tell you. They might tell you, they might not. So you're thinking when everyone's choosing where to fly out, where to fly a rocket, you're thinking, okay, is John, is Sarah, are they going to partner with me? I'm thinking about that, and that affects where I'm going to move next. So it's definitely possible, um, and I, I, I've that's how it is in Abandoned Planet, and I'd like to see more games that uh, play with that. Yeah, now before the show, we were talking a little bit about your new game, Black Hole Council, and it doesn't have hidden roles, right, but it's got hidden goals that people are trying to deduce and things like that. And so let's talk a little bit about how you're kind of taking this deduction thing and adding a twist with your new game. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, as you just said, uh, Resistance is Hidden Roles, and Black Hole Council is about five hidden goals. Um, so I've, I went to a number, not a number, I had one sort of negotiation class, an actual class that I took uh, in college. And <laughs> the, in, the instructor, this, this guy, this guy who didn't, he acts like he's not intimidating, but he is. You know, I once called out from the back of the class, you think that line's straight enough, sir? You know, and he just had a thing about drawing straight lines. And he was like, oh, no, I don't think it is. Why don't you come do it for me? <laughs> I'm like, and he's like, I'm serious. I'm like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's like, oh, okay, I'm kidding too. <laughs> and he's just, it's just intimidating, you know? Um, and it's because he's like, he knows what he wants, you, and he knows that you don't want to go up in front. And so he's kind of messing with you. But anyway, that's just an anecdote. Basically, we would do these assignments where you would have, you know, I would be company A, you'd be company B, and I want to get a contract. I want to, so goal A is get a contract. Goal B is get a contract extended. Uh, goal C is to, you know, reduce something, blah, blah, blah. So different goals relating to different types of things, and my opponent also has goals. Some of these goals are the same. Some of them are different. Um, some of them are the same, but to different extents. And I took that class and the guy, <laughs> believe it or not, I got a B. I got a B in the, in the negotiation class of the genre that I really love. Um, but anyway, I really like that idea of having multiple goals that you want to achieve, multiple goals that another player wants to achieve, figuring out where they match and where they don't and how, how you both can succeed, but how you succeed more. And so that's the whole basis of Black Hole Council. Um, you've got 32 different planets uh, of five different colors. And you are a shady counselor who's been bought off, basically. So you have this secret agenda. So say, for example, I want to settle blue planets 
uh, tax red planets, mine green planets, conquer red, conquer, if I didn't say red planets, um, and throw this other colored planet, whatever last color I didn't say, maybe black planets, into the black hole. So those are the five goals that I want. And you have your own goals. And there are six negotiation rounds where this part's a little bit like resistance. There's a leader. In resistance, the leader chooses who's going to go like on a mission. In Black Hole Council, the leader is choosing what's going to happen to five different planets that we're talking about right now. And everyone else is trying to persuade the leader to, to make, to set it up how is most similar to their own agenda. Now, they don't need everything to match. Just like that negotiation class I just talked about. Well, I don't know if I mentioned this, but you don't need everything. You need, but you need enough. You need enough things to match. And as the game goes on, you need to get more things to match in order to advance in influence. Sorry if that sounds a little bit abstract, but that's the core of the game, basically. So the idea is to get enough things that match that other players will vote yes to this proposal, because also like resistance is a voting round. So you can't get everything you want. You have to compromise, but try to compromise in a way that makes it best for you. Um, so that's the core of the negotiation. And then there are three deduction rounds where you might think to yourself, why wouldn't I just say everything I want? Why wouldn't I just say that I want red? I want to conquer red planets? Because there are three deduction rounds. And during those rounds, if you can guess what other players want, then you basically get to steal influence and rise higher than them by stealing coins. And then there's one other long game bit, uh, which I won't explain right now because I'm given the basics of the game. Um, but yeah, that's Black Hole Console. And I would say that it is kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's a meatier game than Resistance. You're not going to be able to teach it to your grandmother, but you might. You absolutely might, but, but also you might not. Uh, and that's just a choice that I've made. I feel like Resistance is Resistance, and I'm super happy about that. Black Hole Council is Black Hole Council. Resistance is 20 minutes. Black Hole Council is 45 minutes to an hour. And so it's a different type of experience. It's for players who really enjoy that negotiation, that deduction, and, now, and they want something even crunchier. They want to explore that genre a little bit more in depth. And so that's that's what I designed the game for. Very cool, man. Now, have you thought about retheming it to the like U.S. Senate or Congress or anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I've, no, I've definitely heard players say like, oh, it's like a, you know, you know it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a government policy simulator. Um, and that is, I hope, I hope that it has a little bit more color uh, than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I don't entirely mind that. You know, because the things that are happening, you know, in the government and governments around the world are super important. Right. And wouldn't it be nice if we were able to find compromises? You know, whereas right now in so many governments, compromise is not on the table. You know, in Black Hole Council, you're not going to get ahead unless you're willing to compromise. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and this is another thing I mentioned before. People talk a lot and people like to tell a lot of fun stories about how no one ever trusts me. I lost all my friends. You know, my, my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend got so mad at me over these games of like resistance. And I'm like, cool. That's, that's a very funny story. I enjoyed your story. What people don't talk about as much is, you know, how they found community yeah. um, and engagement with people that they don't normally engage. You know, in fact, just the other day, I had this math teacher tell me about how he had this kind of toxic situation at work where fellow teachers would just kind of complain uh, about students during the lunch breaks. He brought in resistance and, you know, suddenly, instead of just complaining, they were talking to each other like real people. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a game, of course, but still, 
people that you don't always deal with and like look at, games can give you a chance to do that and actually get to know people, which I think is really great. And in Black Hole Council, it's the same concept. You get to know them, you get to talk, talk with them, and you get to compromise and like find agreement with them. And also, of course, there's the fun explosive stuff where you don't and you throw their plan into a black hole. Um, but it's both. Right. And and what you're talking about is one of the reasons I love board games, I love designing games, is it brings people around the table who maybe know each other well, maybe don't know each other hardly at all, and they get to just kind of hang out, mm-hmm. have some fun, get to know each other through play, through fun. And through these games, actually, like, looking each other in the eye and, like, really trying to discern, yeah. can I trust you? And so it's just a really cool right. dynamic. But let's let's talk about playtesting. How do you playtest these types of games to make sure they're balanced, to make sure, like, like we were talking about earlier, that you don't have these issues mm-hmm. where the game kind of breaks itself and people can really figure things out and kind of crack the code, so to speak. What's your process of playtesting? Yeah, I would say carefully and through a, a number of different methods. Um, I don't do just just one. Um, I know that for Resistance um, and like Avalon especially, uh, I was actually in Korea when Avalon was getting made. And I could find players to play, but not like a ton. And so I would also use a lot of online testing. I would send it out to players around the States and around the world, and they would play and get back to me with you know their feedback. And... That was super useful because there sometimes there are things that people can say in text that they can't really say to you in words so much. You know, sometimes you play a game and someone will be like, I love it. It's great. And maybe they have something in the back, in the back of their minds that they're just, they just don't feel comfortable for whatever reason to say. Um, so through online testing, I found that some of those more thoughtful, some of those more, you know, intro, you know, introspective players would take the time to really describe their personal situation playing and also how everyone else seems to be acting to them, which is so interesting because it's one of those few times that I could like see through their eyes instead of just seeing, instead of just watching them and seeing them through my own and just trying to guess what was behind their head. So that's one way um, online. Another is by being there and teaching the game myself and watching them play. So, you know, in person, not blind play testing. And that's super helpful, of course, just to watch them do it and jump in uh, anytime whenever they're unsure about the rules. Now, that's really helpful just to see how well they enjoy the experience of the game, assuming they know all the rules, because, of course, I taught it to them. And then, of course, there's the third way of blind testing, which I also do, which I've done more with Black Hole Council um, than with other games. And I really appreciated that. Um, with Abandoned Planet, I should have done more blind playtesting because I found that there were like one or two points in the rules that I should have clarified more. And it was like, wow, Don, how did you miss that? You know, because I didn't do, I did some, but I didn't do enough blind playtesting. And what I really appreciate about that experience is that, you know, no matter how far you are into becoming sort of a professional designer, whatever that is, there's always more to learn. Um, and even at this like stage of my career, I was like, wow, you know, I could have done better. I could have been clearer and I'm going to get better. And so I'm in the process of doing that. And so I've already done, oh, I think three blind play tests of Black Hole Council where I give them the rules and nothing else. And I just, I just watch them play. So the great benefit, as I'm sure you've heard, and I've talked to a lot of designers, is that you find out whether they basically have fun and whether they get the rule book. Um, 
so yeah, those you know those are the three main methods, which I don't think really are anything new, but just to give you some color about how I perceive them. Yeah. Now, when you're doing the the playtesting and you're taking notes and things like that, do you keep track of like the ratio of how like how often which team wins or how they won to kind of keep track of you know what? Because you don't necessarily want it balanced. It doesn't have to be 50-50 where red beats blue mm-hmm. 50% of the time and vice versa. You could have it where one side is harder. But how do you kind of take those notes and, and figure that out? I would say I, I do take those notes, but I, I wouldn't say that I do it stringently or scientifically. Because I am there the vast majority of times the games are being played. I can get a feel for it of, of about what team seems to be you know stronger than the other. And if I'm early enough in the process, I'll change things on the fly. I mean, honestly, even late in the process, I will change rules on the fly and just not be afraid to do it. And I've actually had a number of designers say to me, wow, I really like how, you know, right in the middle there, you just changed it and you changed it strongly and confidently. Um, I think that that is kind of an undersung skill of design, which is that you need to be willing to get in front of people and just fail hard and come back strong because game design is not something that's just a piece of paper. It's the people around you and you have to value their time. And so if you see that something's not working on the one hand, on the one hand, there could be value in letting them continue to fail and have a bad time for another half hour, but there's also strong value in changing things quickly. One, because you might've just found a solution and two, because these are probably your friends. You want them to keep playing games. You know, you want to show them that you respect their time. Be like, guys, full stop. This isn't working. Who can I get a beer? And I'm changing the rules like this, you know? And they're like, oh, okay, sweet. Sure. You know, great. And so I think that's, you know, especially if this is geared towards, you know, budding designers, keep that in mind, find the confidence to, Get your friends to come over, play it, fail fail on it, and make sure they're still having a good time so they come back and they'll do it again next week. For sure. I think this is some of the best advice you can you can hear as a younger or not younger, but a newer designer. And this is something Rob Davio talked about. Don't feel like you have to grind out a play test. Like don't burn out your friends. Okay. Like you want them to play again, like you're just saying. And so if you get to a point and the game's not fun, kill it and be like, okay, we're done. We're not going to, no, we're done. Let's go do something else. And that's yeah. okay. And, and if it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, don't feel like you have to go all the way to completion because most of the time an early game concept or a game you're working on is much longer than you mean for it to be. Like, if you're trying to make an hour long game, it might be three hours just because you haven't figured out right. how to balance the things. And you know, you don't know how long turns are going to take and you thought they were going to take 30 seconds and they took three minutes each turn. And it's like, Oh no, the game just right. got yeah. way longer. And so, or something else Rob talked about that I think is very pertinent and uh, is worth reiterating is go into a play test with one specific thing that you're testing. And you, you say, okay, we're only going to test the combat in this game I'm working on. We're only going to test rounds three through five. So we're going to skip round one and two. Mm-hmm. Not going to worry about that. We're going to start at round three. Here's your resources. Here's your options. We're going to go three to five. We're going to see what happens. And I think that's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. It kind of takes that more scientific approach. Any other advice that you would give somebody uh, about play testing? Yeah, I would say, so just a both answer and comment a little bit on what you just said. I normally start games from the beginning just because I don't, I don't, I try not to make games that are too long. You know, if a game lasts, oh, I mean, an, an hour and a half is like the absolute max I would want one of my games to last. Yeah. If it's more than that, then that's a problem. Um, but ideally, closer to 45 minutes 
to an hour 15 for my, my latest series of games. Like Orange Machine games last about 40 to 80 minutes. Just, and that's just what I've chosen. That's what, I, that's what I want to make. I don't want to make 20-minute games. I want to make something a little bit deeper. So that said, I usually start at the beginning or near the beginning, and I don't really say, let's test just one thing. I, I'm, I'm just a little bit more organic about it, and I think that both ways really work. Yeah, for sure. Because for me, if I'm, if I'm just testing one thing, I don't know. And, I, and I, if I move to a specific part, well, then what about all the context around it? You know, what about all the things leading up to that, you know, that, that change the way a player would work? And the thing is, I think the way you just said works for games that are less, like maybe a little bit less social, you know, a little bit less explosive and colorful, because it's more about just like raw numbers, you know, raw spatial arrangements. Um, so anyway, I get I get both ways of doing it. Say that say that very last question one more time. Just any other advice you have about playtesting? Any other things you would you would tell people? Have have popcorn. Have a smile. You know, last let it, let it go until, as we already said, you know they're not into it anymore. Have a backup plan ready. Oh, have a sweetener. So I'm really I'm really lucky because I do have some successful games out there, and the type of games that I design are not too dissimilar in terms of the level of engagement from like Resistance and Avalon. So I'll invite some friends over and be like, hey guys, let's play Resistance, you know? And we do it and they have a great time, or maybe they don't, but maybe they, they have a pretty good time. And I'm like, great, super fun. So glad you had fun. Now let's play the game I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, okay, sure. You know, why not? So I would say for me, I'm very experience oriented and a board game is absolutely an experience. But being in at someone's house, being at a, a restaurant, a bar, whatever, that's also experience. So, and, I, and I'm an experienced designer. So I'm not just thinking about the board game, I'm thinking about the whole evening. So like right now, tonight, I have friends coming over to play a game I'm working on that's called Crunch right now. I know exactly who's coming. I know I'm gonna clean up my place. I'm gonna have food, I'm gonna have everything ready so that they are overall in a good space and they're ready to play and have fun. And I've got games ready to start with, I've got games ready to end with, um, and I'm ready to get their feedback. I'm not, and I know how I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna be like, okay guys, what did you think? You know, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna be like, all right, cool guys, so glad you're here. Um, we've got a larger group. I can't speak to everyone individually like right now, but I do want everyone's opinions about a number of things like really quickly. I know it's weird, but I'm just gonna do some voting things. Um, so everyone, uh, I'm gonna ask you to put up your hands one, two, or three, basically on how much you liked a certain aspect of the game. Okay, cool, so rules complexity. For the, for the type of game it was, give me a one, two, three about how satisfied you were. Uh, I want you to vote. If, if you're not ready, it's, it's okay, just, just vote. One, two, three, vote. Awesome, register the results. Cool, guys, so basic level of fun, you know, and don't worry, it's not scientific. How much fun did you have? One, two, three, vote. And then I'll, I'll keep on doing that. And as I'm doing that, that'll, after about doing that two or three times, someone will, will be like, I really want to talk about that, actually. Someone will be like, oh, I love the game time. I was surprised. And, and, and actually, and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll listen, you know. So be ready and have that opener to open up the, their feedback. Be ready to take it. 
don't take a ton of time writing every single thing down because you are in such a critical spot at that moment. You have like 10 minutes for really great raw feedback uh, from everyone. And then after that, you're only going to be getting feedback from players who are much more invested. The players who are less invested, they're going to start wandering off either physically or with their minds. So yeah, that's my advice. Be ready. <laughs> awesome. Now, before we close, you know, something we talked about before the show was kind of the bigger picture of social deduction. And as far as like the, the communication between players and kind of that bird's eye view of what the, these types of games are doing and what they're like. Do you want to go into any, any kind of depth on that? Yeah, it's, it, it is exactly that. It's, it's getting together and it's communicating. And I think that some, everyone does it differently. You know, I know that I design games and I design the type of games I make because I really enjoy that space and that freedom to call people out. I'm waving a spoon around. <laughs> to, <laughs> to call people out to say, I trust you. And I know that in my life, you know, I've gone through times where I've either been, you know, like very shy around people I don't know or people I know less. And there are times when I've been like really brash. You know, I've, I've had more than one person in my life, people I love, say like, Don, you're like, you're kind of pushy. <laughs> you just get, you're, and, you're, and you're clever, but stop it. <laughs> and I totally get that. I, I understand that about myself. And so I play and design games where I feel like I can be me where uh, and and engage with people and that doesn't mean that i want to design a game where i can be pushy it means i want to design a game where everyone has the opportunity to be pushy everyone has the opportunity to be clever everyone has the opportunity to say i trust you um because those are all things that i like and i and they're just parts of communication everyone communicates differently and those are parts of the way that i communicate and so those are cool parts about games yeah that's awesome well cool man uh Really appreciate you coming on the show. We're about to head over into a bonus round where we talk about how to create expansions. The Resistance has a number of expansions. This is something Don's been been doing for a while, and he's got some really cool insight on. But uh, he's also got a game on Kickstarter right now. We talked about a little bit, Black Hole Council. Don, you want to give like the elevator pitch for that real quick while it's still live? Yeah, sure. So I mentioned a little bit earlier, Black Hole Council is a game about shady counselors, secret agendas, and throwing planets into a black hole. Um, so you have five hidden goals. You're trying to achieve those while everyone else is trying to block you from doing it. Uh, and you you'll, you might have to make sacrifices along the way. Sacrifices in order to gain what you want. And, you know, planets might uh, get conquered or mined or settled or taxed or thrown into the black hole. And that's just something you got to deal with. <laughs> uh, so the player who can negotiate and deduce the other players the best will win the game. It's uh, lasts about 45 to 60 minutes. If you like resistance and you want something a little bit meatier, crunchier, savory, <laughs> to use a lot of... Uh, food references, um, then check it out. Awesome. Sounds great. Good luck with that project and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Awesome. Thanks, Gabe. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?